now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Andrea Curry. Andrea had a vision of her near-death experience 15 hours before it actually happened. And today we're going to learn about it. Andrea, thank you so much for joining today and welcome. Thank you so much, Jeff, for having me. Maybe we should start with the vision first and then go to the near-death experience? That makes sense because that's actually the way it happened. Okay. Yes. So it's back to December 1991. Now, I live in the East Coast, and December is winter. And uh, that morning, as I was waking up, I had a vision. And a vision is different from a dream because here we are 30 years later, and I remember that vision perfectly. And I woke up seeing in front of me that there was a huge snowstorm going to happen. Now, I had my eyes closed, but I was seeing all this as if it was a movie. I saw my husband and I walk down a snowy sidewalk. I saw that from behind this blue Honda Accord, I saw the car perfectly, saw the color of the car. It lost control, jumped up onto the sidewalk and hit us from behind. I saw my, I heard my husband's voice say, Oh my God, we've been hit by a car. And then I woke up, basically, the vision faded. And I remember having a conversation with myself, like, wait a minute, how do you get hit by a car when you're walking on a sidewalk? And how is this even possible? And then I basically forgot the vision. I forgot it. And 15 hours later, we were walking out of a home. I think about the timing that was necessary for all of this to happen so perfectly. We had been at a party it was a Christmas party. And we were walking down the stairs out of the home and down onto the sidewalk. And all of the spots along this road were completely taken up with cars that were parked because of this party. And there was just a one tiny little opening of a driveway. And somehow this car lost control jumped the sidewalk, hit us from behind. And when I heard my husband scream, and it was exactly the words I had heard 15 hours before, I knew I was being prepared. I knew that whatever was happening was meant to happen. And so I told myself, just relax and go with it. Whatever this is, it's meant to be. And that was the accident that led to the near-death experience. We were hit. I was thrown down the road, hit a parked car, slid down the middle of the of a very busy boulevard, and that was a miracle and that no other cars hit me. And then I came out of my body, and I had never had this kind of an experience before. I had no idea that my consciousness was separate from my body, and it took me a, a minute, not a minute, I don't know how long it took, maybe five seconds, but it took me a moment to look down and to say, hey, wait a minute, that's me. I At first, I didn't even recognize that that was my body lying there in the middle of the road. And then I recognized the coat. And I thought, gee, that's weird, because I'm not there. I'm here. Like all my feelings, all my thoughts, everything was hovering about nine feet above my body. And then I looked over and I saw the chaos happening in this house because here had been a husband and wife hit by a car and there was a big party in progress and all these people were spilling out of the house and I was trying to talk to them to say, go put a coat on. It's like a big snowstorm. What are you doing out here? I was worried about all these women coming out in their evening dresses and all that and nobody heard me. And then I saw this magnificent light. And I know that seems to be what so many say about their NDE. But it really, when it happens to you, I tell you, it alters your life. And it was so all-encompassing that whatever was going on there on the ground, it just didn't matter. It was like a drama that I was no longer attached to. And I moved away, I moved away. And then I was in this cocoon of light. And I felt myself traveling gently. And then a figure was in front of me. I felt that it was male. Uh, I didn't see a face. I was maybe, I don't know, eight feet or nine feet tall and rather dark. But the funny thing that I still think today was that he addressed me by name. And I remember thinking, oh, who am I that they know my name? You know, we feel like we're so small. And he said, Andrea. And I was like, whoops. 
And he said, do you want to stay or do you want to go back? And I said, I have three little kids. My children were one, three, and five. I said, I must go back. And then he asked me again, do you want to stay or do you want to go? And I said, I got to go, even if every bone is broken. And I was thrown into, like, I could only describe it as a vortex. And I know I didn't have my physical body, but it felt very physical because I could feel that I was using my hands and I was using my feet and I was hanging on to this whirlpool, this vortex. I was hanging on for dear life. And I knew that if I didn't hang on, I would get thrown out and I didn't know where I would go, but I had to really hang on. And I remember that. It was like a scary feeling, like, oh, my God, I wasn't really prepared for how powerful that vortex was going to be. And then it spun me and spun me and spun me and slammed me back into my body. And I woke up and I was crying and I was uh, and there were people leaning over me and I was put down to the stretcher and my husband was put on the stretcher and our neck and everything was um, immobilized and we were taken to the hospital. And I remember looking over at him in the ambulance and I had a lot of difficulty looking over at him and I remember thinking, okay, my life is changing now. Something has gone to a huge amount of effort, seemed to me anyway, to save me, to warn me and uh, I'm going to make my life count. That was it. Have you had a vision before this one? You know, I never did. But when I was little, I realized, you know how when you look back, you connect the dots so much better. I remember walking to school in the morning and running my hand against the bushes as I would go by. And I would feel the energy. And there would be times when I would almost see light sort of from the green. And I didn't know what it was. I thought it was just a totally normal thing. But I never really had any uh, clear visions that I can remember at all. I think I just always somehow felt connected to energy. Who do you think the being was that you communicated with? I think, you know, that has, from what I've learned since then, is that has a lot to do with your beliefs. It's like you interpret these visions based on what your beliefs are. And to me, it was uh, a very powerful presence, but that was also very kind of fatherly and loving. But initially, right away, my thought was, this is Jesus, but I don't know what it was. You know, one thing I remember, Jeff, the first thing I remember when I woke up on the, on the, the street, the first thing I remember was, oh, please let me not forget this. Because I was worried maybe I'd have amnesia and the whole thing would disappear and I wouldn't remember it. And here we are 30 years later, and I remember it like it happened just, you know, moments ago. Mm. Yeah. And uh, it changed my life completely. It really, really not only changed my life physically in that I no longer could live in a marriage that was not happy. I knew that my purpose in life, I mean, it's not like you don't need to get hit by a car to know this. I mean, it's like so obvious, but... Um, I had made a commitment and it was till death do us part. And I thought to myself, you know, that was like dying. And I am not going to live in something that isn't good and healthy for myself and for my children. And if it's not good for me and them, it's not good for him either. And I'm not going to live without love. And so right then and there, as I was being put in that ambulance, I knew that that marriage was over. So my whole life changed materially and physically because two weeks after the accident, I asked him to leave. But then it also changed in so many other ways. Um, one thing is I didn't tell anybody about this. but So all the changes were happening inside of me. Uh, I kept it to myself for 25 years because I didn't need anybody to question it or doubt it or criticize it. It was like this treasure that I had in my heart and it helped me completely let go, all fear of death. And then it started to bring me different psychic abilities. And these were the things that took me years to come to grips with because I didn't know what was really going on at the time at all. So you said that once you came back to your body, you looked at your husband and knew things were going to change. At that point, did you know the relationship was over? Yes. I knew right then and there. 
I knew right then and there when I was in the ambulance that life is meant to be uh, an experience filled with love. It's meant to be an experience to give and to receive love. As much as that might sound trite or uh, just some kind of overused phrase, I knew that my life had to go in that direction. And yeah, I knew right then and there. Mm. Yep. Had that been something that you'd been contemplating but unable to make that leap before? Absolutely. Um, you know, it, it's like it... It, it took, it was, I knew the marriage was really bad from the very beginning. And to try to make it better, what did I do? I kept having children. Like, what a colossally dumb thing to do. But that's what I did. Now, I don't regret my amazing three children. However, I knew, I knew when, uh, right at the beginning, I knew it was wrong, but I said, I'm going to make it work. I'm going to work harder. I'm going to be better. I'm going to give better dinner parties. I'm going to be more beautiful. I'm going to be more loving. I'm going to make this work without realizing that you can't change anybody. You can't, you you know, you have to just allow somebody their journey and let them be who they are. And if it's not meant to be, well, finally, I got the crap knocked out of me and I realized, okay, now I can no longer deny that I have to do something about this. You know, I wonder sometimes if I hadn't had that accident, I might've stayed and that would have been awful. So tell us about the psychic abilities you started developing afterwards. The first thing that happened was my deceased grandmother uh, started talking to me and talking to me in such a clear way. She would, and she was very sort of a real taskmaster. And the way she spoke to me was exactly in the same tone. She would say, okay, Andrea, today we're going to learn about patience. She would teach me things. We'd be, I'd be in this massive traffic jam and she would come to me and start talking to me about what was going on. She'd say, okay, we're going to learn about acceptance. We're going to learn about non-judgment. We're going to learn not to criticize. One day she said to me, Go to your aunt's basement, get a box that's down there with my things in it, and start reading my books. And my books are called The Life and Teachings of the Masters of the Far East. So I asked my mother, I said, is there a box of books somewhere, grandma's books? And sure enough, there was. And so, yeah, I got the books, I opened them up, and I couldn't understand a word. It was like so far beyond my capacity. I said, Grandma, I'm sorry, I, you know, I'm not ready for this. Put the books away. Two years later, I was ready to read those books. But one of the coolest things that happened was my grandmother knew before I knew that I was going to be alone with three children with no money and no child support. She knew this before I knew because she came to me in 1996. This is five years after my husband had left because he left soon after the accident because of things that had been going on in his life. He, there was no challenge to, uh, to my request to leave. He left. Five years later, my grandmother comes to me one day and says, Andrea, go on that bookshelf, take that picture of me, and go make a logo. We're going into business. I'm like, what? Now I have no money, and I'm trying to raise three kids. And at this point, I still have child support. So I was okay. So I take the picture, you know, when your dead grandmother says, go get a picture, we're making a logo. It's like, you can't really argue, you know? So I did. I made, uh, I took the picture. I say, okay, grandma, what are we going to do? She says, we're going to make granola because my grandmother had always made it and I made it. My mother made it. It was a family recipe. So I'm out walking. I'm like, okay, so what are we going to call this company? Are we going to call it uh, Andrea's granola or Andrea's yummy homemade granola? And she talked to me, Jeff, clear as day. And she said, no, dummy, we're going to call it Grandma Emily's Granola. And so that is what I did. I incorporated federally a company. I uh, had no money. No bank would lend me any funds to start a business. I bootstrapped this business. And just as I was starting this business, my ex-husband went bankrupt and took away all child support. So there I was with a logo and my grandmother telling me, you can do this. And it was a very long road. That was 1997. And I started the business. Um, I had to uh, beg to get credit from suppliers. And uh, I started in my home kitchen, cooking granola. 
And sure enough, it's funny, you know, we used to have almost like a meeting of the board every Friday. My grandmother and I would sort of sit around and I would ask her questions in my head. So what did you think about me doing this? And what did you think about that? And she would give me her critique. She wasn't easy on me too. Like when I really messed up, she would tell me, you messed up. And slowly, slowly, the business grew. I moved the business four times until I had a large uh, kitchen and a facility where I employed 16 people. I was paying for everything for my three kids. I bought us a house, a townhouse, and I never incurred debt, not a penny. I paid for everything, every time. I mean, initially to buy an, to buy an oven for a thousand dollars was a big deal. But then eventually to buy a piece of equipment cost me $75,000. And I saved up the money for that too. And so I created this company called Grandma Emily's Granola. And one day she said to me, and it was really crazy, raising three kids and running a business. And then I became a lecturer at, um, at McGill University on entrepreneurship and many things followed from that. But the best was one day she said, Andrea, don't worry. You're not going to have to do this forever. You're going to sell this business and then your real work is going to begin. How does your grandmother communicate with you? Um, well, I can tell you that she doesn't so much anymore because uh, she did tell me one day, okay, I, I, you don't need me anymore. I'm leaving now. And I asked her that day, I said, where are you going? And she said, I'm going to the Omega I remember that. And, oh, I cried and cried because then I really felt like she was leaving. But she would communicate with me and I would hear her as clearly as I hear you. It would be like a voice in my head that was so clear. There was no question, is it me or is it her? It was a completely different voice to my own voice that's in my head. So it's kind of like they would say clear audience. Then. That's right. That's right. But one time, ah, this is cool. One time, the first time uh, she appeared to me, actually physically I saw her, was I had just received the bill for my divorce. This was the end of 1992. My grandmother had passed and all her estate had been resolved. And I get a bill for my divorce, and the bill is like $1,106. Imagine, that's all it cost us. Each of us, we paid $1,106. And I get a phone call from my mother just a few hours later saying, your grandmother's estate is resolved. It's all done. And there's just this small, small amount of money left. And I don't know why, but I think you should have it. And I tell you, Jeff, it was like $1,109. It was exactly the amount I needed to pay for that divorce. And I cried and I cried and I took that check to the bank and I said, thank you, Grandma. Thank you. Because, you know, there's a lot of guilt, too, when you decide that you're not going to keep the family together for those three children. And by receiving that check, not only did it pay the bill, but it helped me let go of the guilt of what I had done. Did you get any other abilities? I did. I got so many other things started happening. And um, I started to communicate with people across the veil. And uh, especially kids. Uh, one day, and you know how it started happening was I would be like brushing my teeth or ironing, which thank God I don't do anymore now. Who does ironing anymore? But it was one of those mindless activities. And... It was about 2006, and I'm brushing my teeth, and I hear a voice in my head, and I know it's not me. And it's a male voice, and he keeps saying, tell them I'm fat and happy. Tell them I'm fat and happy. And I finally put my toothbrush down. I said, who is this? Because that's one of the trademark ways you know it's not you, is that they keep saying the same phrase over and over and over because we are so thick, you know. We just don't hear them well enough or we're just too busy or there's too much noise around us in our lives. So he kept repeating this and he said, my name is Gabriel Rossi. And then I just about jumped out of my skin because there was a young man by that name who had passed two weeks previous. And I knew his mother, but just very distantly. So then he said to me, Andrew, would you take a letter? 
Oh my God. I said, okay. So I sat down and I started writing and I ended up with this beautiful five page letter. And then the dilemma of what to do, called his mom. And I said, look, I I don't know if you believe this. I don't know if you're going to, you know, want to see it, but this is from your son. And so another thing Gabriel did while he was dictating this letter was he showed me a movie. He showed me a vision of him mowing the word fat into the grass. So there he was. I saw him with a lawnmower. First he did the F and then he'd move over and the A and then the T. So when I talked to his mother, I said, you know, he showed me the weirdest thing. He was mowing the word fat into the grass. And she's like, oh, okay, that's really weird. So our communications continued over a few years. And then one day he said to me, Andrew, you have to call my brother, Justin. And so I did. Finally, and I said, look, Justin, I'm sorry. I know it's been a long time. Your brother has passed. But he wants me to tell you about this vision of him mowing the word fat into the grass. And then Justin drops the phone. He says, Andrea, the only person who was there that day was me. And he did it. We were at the cottage. The grass was really high. And he mowed the word fat into the grass. I said, well, hallelujah. Finally, confirmation for both of us. And it continued from there. How did his mother react when you first approached her with the letter? You know what? She was open. She was, she was open. She was skeptical. But when he started saying things like, Mom, I'm so glad you bought those new sheets. And Mom, and then a, a couple of years later, she graduated as a grief counselor. And she does fantastic work with grieving parents. And he came to me again. I was like, I don't know, cleaning the house or something. And he said uh, he was putting a graduation cap on his mother's head. And he said, I really want you to call her and tell her thank you. And, and I'm so proud of her. And so I did. Um, but that first time, Jeff, you know what? She was, she was open to it. Um, part of it too is when you lose your child, cause I've lost a child. When you lose your child, um, it's a huge, huge thing to know that they're fine. That's every, that's what we all want. We want to know where are they and are they fine? And so it gave her, uh, it gave her peace. Yeah. But How, you'd have to ask her, I guess, more than I, you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> How long do you think people stay there in whatever realm they're in before they go off somewhere else or reincarnate? Oh, I think that question is very uh, person-specific based on their healing, based on what they want to learn, based on things they haven't yet finished that they do want to finish in this uh, from this incarnation. Um I think that you can't, there's no hard and fast rule because it's also a lot based on your beliefs. But I could tell you a story about my own daughter because uh, my daughter, I sold, this is like so beautiful how the universe worked this out. I worked like a dog in my business from 1997 to 2015. And then I found a buyer and I sold my business. I was free for one month. One month free. I was in Italy with a little knapsack on my back, fooling around and having fun like I was a kid. Because you could imagine the intensity of trying to raise three kids by yourself, pay all the bills, run a business. It was crazy. I get a phone call. My daughter is sick. So I came back home and I took care of her for a year. And she passed in February 2016. She had cancer. Five weeks after she passed, I was writing her a letter and I was just about to burn it in my wood stove. And she said, Ma, don't burn that letter. And her first words to me were, Mom, you're so easy to find. It's a joke. I said, what do you mean? She said, you're light, Mom. When you pray, you send out light. And when you send out light, we see it. So we started communicating. This is kind of a long answer to that question. But I asked her one day, I said, where are you? How is it that I can hear you so Perfectly. And I did see her on a couple of occasions. I did see a physical manifestation of her. It was amazing. And this is what she said. She said, Mom, imagine this is the universe, okay? Imagine this is the whole universe, and you are here. She said, the reason you can hear me so well is that I'm right here. But she says, I'm not going to stay here. When our mission is finished and when this book is written, 
I'm going to go because I have stuff to do. I have a life to live. I have so many things to learn and, and I'm going to leave you. And that's actually exactly what happened because it started April 1st, 2016, and it finished September 1st, 2016. So April, May, June, July, uh, yeah, five months, and we wrote a book together. Mm-hmm. And then she came to me and she said, Mom, now I got to go. And I was like, oh, that was rough. That was like my grandmother telling me she was going to the Omega. You know, like, you know, you've got to let them live and, and grow and, and evolve. And holding them back doesn't do them any good and doesn't do us any good. Did she tell you where she's going? No, she didn't. But I did check in with her from time to time. And I asked her, like, where are you? What are you doing? And what was really cool is that when Chloe was here, she loved flower essences and all this stuff. And she was like a real, you know, uh, flower child kind of person. And she said, I'm in the lab and we're designing flowers. I said, oh, my God. So she said, we test everything. Like before you put the yellow there and the purple there and the pistil there and those mount- She said, everything is tested. Everything happens like in, an, in a parallel universe before it's implemented in the physical Earth universe so that we can work on everything. And that's what she was doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you have any negative after effects <laughs> from your NDE? Do I have any negative after effects? Um, I, don't, I don't think so. No. I had had one time I felt, but this wasn't from the NDE. This was just being more open to spirit. I did have a sense of a very strong approaching negative energy. And it uh, grabbed my throat. It grabbed my throat. And I ended up with thyroid cancer. And I realized, yeah, so I had that removed. And I realized from that, that what was important was, and it makes sense really when you think about it, was to raise my vibration and keep my vibration high. So that also meant my physical vibration, my mental, my emotional, my spiritual, all of it. I had to keep it high so that I wouldn't expose myself like that ever again. You mentioned before that you interpret your NDE and things that happen based on your beliefs. So what yes. are your beliefs? Well, I can tell you that I, uh, I don't have any specific religious dogma that I uh, adhere to. Uh, I would say that if we could all be kind, that would be my religion. It would be kindness. It would be goodness. It would be the golden rule. That sounds also, again, very trite, but that's what it would be. My beliefs would be, do unto others as you have them do to you. That's really what my beliefs would be. Um, One thing that I learned from my grandmother, this was a big lesson, and I learned it from Chloe too, because as we wrote this book together, I asked her at one point, like, give me a, a blueprint. Give me something to help other parents who want to talk to their kids in spirit. And she told me, Mom, I'm going to give you these 12 steps, but it's only the first step that has to be first. And that's at the core of my beliefs, which is really that all is as it should be. And that's a tough one. When you get cancer, all is as it should be. When you're taking care of your child in the palliative ward and they're down to whatever, you know, there's, oh, it's just awful what it does to the physical body. You know, being able to walk in there and say to myself, all is as it should be is not easy. You know, sitting there with her inanimate body in a bed and saying, oh, my God, this actually has really happened. She is really no longer here in this body. And then to be able to, you know, accept that and say all is as it should be is a tough one. So I had it tested. I had it tested. But um what was really fortunate was to be able to hear her say to me, you know, mom, you were a star at the funeral. You know, like I never wear high heels. Okay. And I wanted to look fabulous for Chloe that day. And I knew it mattered to her that I looked fantastic. So I had this great black dress on and I never wear heels. I had these high black heels. And she said, mom, you rocked it in those heels, man. You wore those heels for five hours, you know? Um, so, uh, there's, there's so many 
there's so many beliefs, but I think it's the simple ones that really count is that we really are so much more than these physical bodies. You know, I recently put an account of my NDE up on YouTube. And I don't know, somebody said, you know, Andrew, you really, it's really short, it's sweet, but you should put it up. And I looked one day and I had like 72 views. And I thought, wow, that is so cool. 72 people now have heard this, right? And then I looked again and there's like 20,000 views. And I'm thinking, oh my God, the multiplication effect of the internet. And one of the comments that I got was, I don't believe this. It doesn't ring true. And I thought back to some of the stuff I had learned from, from Chloe and from some of the downloads that I received from Spirit. And I wanted to send this person a message. This is another one of my core beliefs is that everything that you think and say and do is known. There are no secrets. If Gabriel can come to me and say, please congratulate my mother on her graduation or tell her I'm really glad she bought new sheets or whatever, you know, there are no secrets. So if you lie, you cheat, you steal, if you compromise your integrity in any way, it's out there. It's known. And that's the response I would give to that person who said, gee, I don't believe that NDE. So that's a core belief. Whose idea was it to write the book, you or your daughters? Ah, that's such a great question. Because you know what? It was hers. I didn't want to write a book. I didn't want to write a book. You're absolutely, that's such a f- fabulous question because it gives me the opportunity to say, you know what? I hated the idea of writing a book because that meant once again, it would be public. It would go out there and then I would what? Take crit- criticism and questioning from people who say, I don't really believe you talked to Chloe. So I thought at the beginning, okay, I'll humor you. And it was actually incredibly easy to do, believe it or not. I just knew that she woke me up just about every morning at about 4 a.m. When she was alive, she had this really annoying habit. She would dig her her chin into my elbow. Like, that doesn't feel good, you know? But it was like a sort of a, a loving thing that she sort of did. Anyway, I realize now that it was great that she did that because she would wake me up at about 4, 4.30 in the morning digging into my into my shoulder. And... After a while, uh, I said, you know, Chloe, I don't want to write a book. I love doing what we're doing. I was able with her, in her, her words, I was able to have my eyes closed, put my hands on the keyboard, and just type. And I never made a mistake. When it was her words, there was no mistakes, no typographical errors. Mm. Oh, my God. And she said to me, Mom, you're not allowed to edit my words. You can edit your words, but you can't touch my words. I said, well, if I can't touch your words, they better be perfect. And they were good. They were really, really good. So when she said, we're, we're going to write a book, you know, and I'm like, no, we're not. I don't want to write a book. I just want to do this. Like, who doesn't want to just communicate with their child in spirit? Like, it's the most amazing, wonderful, incredible experience. It's, it's life changing completely. It takes away the, although you live the grief though, it's funny, eh? You still have to go through the grief journey because they're not there. There were still times that I was crushed and missing her. But yet, I had this communication happening at the same time. So she's the one. She said, we're writing this book. I'm like, no, we're not. And then, oh boy, did she give me heck. She's like, no, 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 no. I didn't go through all this for you to cop out on me now. You know? No, no, no. Where's your courage? Mm. And so we did. And so um, it's called Conversations with Chloe. And I actually have it right here. And... Um, it's really cool because it's not just personal stuff, but it's also stuff about the universe. And I thought maybe I could just read to you, this is it. This is the book. And this is my lovely Chloe. And that was taken just the summer before she passed. Can you give us something about the universe? Yes. Oh, this is cool. She says, here is a concept you may not have heard before. Take the picture of a saint. Let's say Jesus. The more you gaze lovingly on his picture, pray to him and speak to him, the more you increase the power of that picture, no matter where it exists on the planet. Is that a concept or what? 
that representation actually takes on more value as more people adore it. Such is the power of collective thought. And she says it can also work in reverse, creating havoc and suffering if enough people focus on destructive thoughts that that we know we know that we contribute to the collective don't underestimate your thoughts they create real stuff they create the collective consciousness that drives events and uh she uh oh yeah we hear you we hear you when we're in a coma we hear you after we've passed we hear you even if you don't think we do and then she said uh um let me ask you this yeah. What is something that she told you that just blew your mind and made you, you know, you thought about it for days and it just impacted you the most? Well, you know, it was the small things that blew me away. It was the word games we used to play. And in this case, she would tell me like a series of words that I didn't know and I'd have to look them up. And uh, that was important to me because I used to tell her, Chloe, I want to know this is really you. So I need you to give me something. And she would do that. She would play these word games with me all the time. But there was something she told me uh, on a much less personal level, because there was a lot of stuff she put in here about the universe and all that. And I found this paragraph really interesting. Uh, It's about gender. So she says, so much of the gender sequencing and mess up you realize this is Chloe talking, so it's like very casual speaking, right? It is all about crossover from one life to the next. A person may identify very strongly with a past life as a female, be born a male, and then have this inner struggle to express that femininity with which he so strongly identified. Now, this is a cool part. This is getting even more pronounced as people begin to recall past lives more. Individuals with this more present yin-yang balancing are brave individuals who agree to come forth and provide a shifting perspective to traditional mores and beliefs about gender. Now, isn't that fascinating? So they're brave. They're here courageously knowing that they are going to have a hard time being outside of the mores of society, but they do it anyway to help us all move forward. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. You mentioned that they all hear us. Yeah. Do you think it's possible for people who have not had an NDE to be able to hear them? Absolutely. Absolutely. But I could tell you that, you know, it's like anything. I know how to swim, but could I swim the English channel? No, I would have to train and I'd have to practice. And I think an NDE can open you up without you even realizing it to some of these gifts. But I still work on it. I started meditating right back then in 1992. I was uh, um, first meditating on my own and then with a group. And uh, that helped. That's what really got me started and helped me have self-discipline to sit and then to hear spirit. Because, you know, they whisper. Eh? They talk to us in a whisper. They don't usually hit us over the head like Gabriel did while I was brushing my teeth. That's rare. Usually it's much more of a whisper. Um, there was some amazing thing that did happen to me again uh, in 2010. So this is about six years before I get this book. I'm going to work one day and you can imagine, right? I'm a single mom. I'm running my own business. I'm working 15 hours a day. I hardly sleep. Uh, my life is super hectic. And I hear a voice in my head that says, don't go to work today. I'm like, what? Sit down, get out a pen and paper, and we're going we're gonna to give you some information. And the first person who came to me that day, it took three days, was Abraham Lincoln. And I took dictation from him and also the woman that he loved. And I took dictation from them for three days. And then over the course of about the next year, I got all this amazing automatic writing come through, which most of it, some of it I've put up on my website. And then in about 2012, it stopped. And I thought, oh, my God, I've lost my best friend. What did I do wrong? I thought it was me. I thought I had messed up. 
And the reason I thought I'd messed up was because I hadn't put it out publicly. And I thought, like, I'm being punished for keeping this to myself. You know, you get all these crazy ideas in your head. Um, it's funny because the crazy ideas were not the automatic writing. The crazy ideas was my own worry that what had I done wrong for this to stop? And then when I started receiving this book and, and writing it with Chloe, I was told, you see, Andrea, it's not that you had done anything wrong. It's that you had learned what you needed to learn from that experience. That was no longer going to serve you. So we moved you along so that you could write this book with Chloe. And just a short time ago, I asked her, because, you know, I'm a mom. I miss her. I said, Chloe, let's write another book. Let's write another book. Like, oh, my God, I'd love to hear you again. And I was sitting in my meditation circle with my meditation teacher. And all of a sudden, she looked at me. And this has never happened in all the years. But she looked at me. She said, you know, she said, I have a message for you from your daughter, Chloe. And, of course, I didn't tell her that I had asked Chloe, let's write another book. So she said, I have a message. And Chloe's saying, no, mom, move on. Like that, two words. Move on. I'm like, oh, okay, Chloe. And it was clear. But it was such a gift, too, because then I didn't have to harp on it anymore or think about it anymore. And I just knew that, okay, that was done. It was finished. And it was time to move on. Interesting. So now that you've moved on, what are you doing with your life? Ah, well, in the book uh, that I wrote with Chloe and where she gives the 12 steps to bridging, which is really cool, one of the steps is to raise your vibration. And I started doing that with my meditation group in 1992. And uh, my teacher brought the first crystal bowl into the room in about the year 2000. And that just blew me away. It's so much easier to meditate with sound. And gradually over the years, I built up my own uh, sort of personal orchestra, and I do sound healing. I started doing, uh, I was always doing it sort of uh, under the radar, and Chloe's the one who pushed me. She said, okay, Ma, you got to get out there now and help other people. And, uh, you know, Chloe had cancer, so I approached a cancer center, and I do um, sessions there. I did them on Zoom for a long time, and now we're just back live, which is great. Mm. And I also did them at the Douglas, which is a hospital for mental wellness. And uh, I do them for groups. I do sound healing pretty much wherever people ask me to go. Um, it's just starting back live now after being only on Zoom. And I still do a Zoom session every Wednesday. It's a free session. I also do Zoom uh, healing with sound for parents who have kids in spirit. So these are all things that are close to my heart. So the cancer is my daughter, Chloe, and the mental wellness is my son who has issues. And um, Helping Parents Heal, which is the organization that I basically contacted, and, and um, I'm now part of this group of people that helps parents every month. And everything is done for free. That's and that's awesome. cool. Yeah, everything's done for free. Have you considered live streaming a sound healing performance on your YouTube channel? I've never done that. I've only, I do live Zoom mm -hmm. every week. Right. But I've never done live YouTube. I'm, I, I've never done it. I've never tried it. I have recorded a few sessions and I put them on my website because sometimes people want to, uh, they just can't make a session or whatever. But I guess that's something to consider. Yeah. yeah, I wouldn't even know how to do it, but I could find out. I could yeah. find out. Or even just making YouTube videos of your live, you know, just creating a video of your live, like you've done on your website, but posting it on your YouTube channel. Well, I have done just audio on YouTube. Mm -hmm. I've done just audio, and I did put a few up. Um, one thing happened to me a couple of years ago. It sounds really crazy, but I hurt myself really badly. I was out picking up garbage, and I got a stick right through my eye. It was the most painful thing. It was awful. You know what? It's two years ago. It still hurts today. And before taking myself to the hospital, I sat in my living room. I had all my sound stuff out. I said, oh, Andrea, this is the moment to record sound healing for pain. I know that sounds crazy, but what better time when, than when you're in massive pain? And I didn't know what I was going to say. I had no clue what was going to come out. And it's a short meditation. But I know people who've used it for pain, and it helps them. Um, and I've done others for the heart and 
color and sound, but I put them on YouTube as audio. But I've never done a live session. That'll so, be something new. So are you using those big bowls or what are you doing to create the sound? Yeah, I use, well, I use different things. I also don't just use the vibration of the bowls and I use the Tibetan metal and I use chimes and different things. I also have recorded music, but you know what I find is the coolest? And I really let spirit guide me when I do these sessions is I help people go on a journey. I talk them into different experiences and so it's not just sound and that's one of the things they really love is that they get this guidance along the way mm -hmm. and it helps them stay with the meditation and it helps them have these unbelievable after-death communications with their loved ones it's almost yeah. like you give them a guided meditation yes i do i do i give them a guided meditation and this is really cool. I mean, it doesn't happen every time. It doesn't happen every time. And I'd say that's one of the toughest things, that if if somebody is part of a meditation and they have the most incredible encounter with their child in spirit, you know, where they have this amazing experience and heart expanding and opening, when they come back the next week, they're like, okay, I want that again, you know. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't always happen. But I always believe that the sound is intelligent and it will give them whatever it is that serves in their highest and best good. And uh, what I do is um, if people want to give back, because it also creates good karma to balance it out. You know, if you always receive, receive, receive and don't give, that's not good. And so I have a charity that I donate to. It's a water charity. Do, I don't know if you know Scott Harrison. It's called Charity Spring. Oh, my God. You have to look at this guy's story. It's riveting. And so that's what that's what we do is we, we send donations to that. And it brings fresh water to people around the world. That's great. Yeah. All right. Well, you've got the sound healing. You've got your book. Yeah. Do you have anything yeah. else going on that you want us to know about? Um, well, now that we're getting sort of a little more open and able to travel again, uh, I do want to do more and more live sound events. And um, I also want to offer, because I did write a second book that was the testimonials of other parents who have kids in spirit, because I learned that all of our kids send us so many signs. I didn't know anything about signs. I didn't know that there's so many crazy, wacky things that happen that are completely um, traceable to our kids. And um, so I'm doing a book club meeting on the 20th of November. It's going to be on Zoom. And anybody who wants to attend, just send me an email. I'll send you my book by PDF for free. And they can join us. And we can talk about the 12 steps to bridging and whatever else you want to talk about on the 20th of November. Oh, that's great. So the book you wrote with your daughter is called uh, what, Conversations oh. with Chloe. That's right. And A mother the, and, yep. And then the book about the testimonials, what is that called? That one is called Magical Thinking Not. Magical. Because not. Yeah. Because one of the mothers in the book it's, it's an awful story, but she's a testament to courage. Man, this is a resilient woman. She lost her three children in a car accident, mm -hmm. same car accident. Two years after, she's at the psychologist's office being assessed. And she says to him, you know, I hear my kids. I feel like my kids are around me. I feel reassured by their presence. And the psychologist writes in his report, patient... Uh, um, um, is observed to have magical thinking. She thinks, you know, psychotic thoughts that she can actually feel her children around her. And I thought, boy, do we have a long way to go, you know, because it isn't psychotic and it isn't crazy magical thinking. It's actually what's really going on. So that's why I titled the book. And it's, a, it's an awful title, actually, because it needs a whole big explanation. But on the other hand, it was like, I just had to use it. Mm. Yeah, I give that book away to anybody who wants it. Oh, that's great. How do they get it? Just, uh, well, you can download the PDF. It's on my website. And the website, shall I give you the yeah, address? Sure. It's it's andreacoury.com. So that's A-N-D-R-E-A-C-O-U-R-E-Y.com. 
So you can get Magical Thinking for free as a PDF um, on, on, the, uh, on the website. Mm. And I actually wrote a play, and I am looking for a school board or um, some kind of theatrical group that would like to work with this play. And if anybody is in, it's a play about life and life after life. And so that's kind of what I'm working on right now is trying to find uh, a home for this play. Yeah, it's to help people have discussions about death and to kind of demystify. Your book, Conversations mm-hmm. with Chloe, is that like on Amazon and places like that? It is. Mm-hmm. It is. It's on Amazon. Yeah. Yeah, it's on Amazon. But um, that's part of, you know, it's funny, eh? You can be really good at some things and really crummy at others. And I am not great at self-promotion, I admit. Mm-hmm. And I'd rather give the book and let people read it and then come along and discuss it together than create a resistance because they have to pay. So, you know, I worked like a dog. I sold my business. I don't have to work anymore. And so now I consider that this is my mission, my gift. So anybody who wants either book can get it from me. Just send me an email and I'll send you the PDF. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. After watching this podcast, people may just want to contact you and ask you questions. Are you open to that? And if so, how do they contact you? Yes, absolutely. Everybody is welcome because also they may want to join us on Wednesdays. Mm -hmm. Um, It's one o'clock Eastern time is when I do a live Zoom session. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so, yeah, they may just even want to give me their email and say, please put me on your link uh, that goes out, you know, send me a link so that I can join on Wednesdays. If they want to talk, if they want to book, just send me an email. If you go to the site You'll see the uh, info at andreacurry.com. Just send me an email. Okay, perfect. All right, Andrea. Well, before we finish up here, can you give us one last positive message? I would say that um, we are never alone. We are so loved. We are so guided. You know, we come here and we say, yeah, 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 I'm going to do this. You want me to sort of get over losing a child? No problem. I can live that experience. You want me to have cancer? Okay, I can do it. You want me to be totally broke? We're going to get through this. And then, of course, the guides say to us, oh, well, you know, we're going to be with you all along the way. We're going to support you. We're going to inspire you. And then you come here and you forget all that, you know? And so I think my message would be, We are loved, we are guided, we are supported. And even if we can't remember all the reasons why we came here, at least we could know that. That's great. Andrea, thank you so much for being our guest, and I wish you the best. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you so much. All right. Have a great rest of your day. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.